Mac Power Users, Episode 723, State of the Platforms 2023. Hello, friends. I'm David Sparks, and as always, joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? Good. I uh, I really like the State of the Platform shows. We started this when you when you joined the Mac Power Users, and uh, we uh, every year we kind of go through and audit how Apple's doing on the various platforms and hardware and software. And I have thoughts throughout the year about this, but we like to save them for this episode. And today I get to get all that off my chest. That's yeah, that's right. It, it is a fun episode. I think it's good sometimes to sort of sit back and kind of see where things are. Right, a lot of these platforms we're talking about are so interwoven with each other that. It's yeah. important to kind of take the the broader landscape view sometimes. I mean, when you think back to the old days of Apple and they made Macs, right? Yeah. Uh, it was so easy in some, you know, I know, I mean, that, that's a relative term, but I mean, they, they didn't have to have everything tied to each other. They didn't have to have an iCloud to hold it all together. It, you know, it was really simple. Like when, when Steve talked about the Mac as the source of truth, that's a lot easier than what they're dealing with these days. But yeah. in exchange, now they're a trillion dollar company. So <laughs> I guess that kind of comes with the territory. <laughs> I think I think Tim Cook is fine with that trade-off being what it is. Yeah, exactly. I think so too. Um the today on more power users, we're going to be talking about the um iPad and iOS 17.2 and Sonoma 14.2. They are dropping today as we record the show. And both Steve and I have been in on the betas. We got some thoughts, and we'll go into that with the uh, More Power Users episode. If you're not familiar, More Power Users is the ad-free extended version of the show. You can learn about that over at relay.fm slash MPU. But it is time to take on the state of the platforms. And uh, you did the first pass of the outline. I was very pleased to see that you put the Mac right on top because we are the Mac Power Users. That's right. And I think... For a lot of us who are deep in the ecosystem, the Mac is still the central point, right? Even if iCloud and other things mean that it's kind of, quote, you know, just another device, it's home base for us who who make our livings at the Mac. And so, yes, I wanted to start with the Mac and I want to start with like, you know, popping a bottle of champagne or whatever people do when they're excited because the Apple Silicon transition is complete. We've been talking about this now in reality, for three years, but rumored even before that. And this year, Apple finally finished out the transition. And now any new Mac you buy is Apple Silicon. They're all great. There's really not a bad Mac right now in the lineup. And that's just so refreshing. I mean, if you wind back the clock, you know, four, five, six years, that wasn't the case. And we're not talking about things like overheating and butterfly keyboards. All that junk is gone. And we just got a really solid Mac lineup to choose from. Yeah. I mean, it it was a question mark four or five years ago, whether Apple was even interested in the Mac anymore. And Mm -hmm. turns out they were, they just were keeping it secret. And uh, this transition to Apple Silicon has been uh, just a a delight. (laughs) You know I mean? It, It really is right in line with the switch from the floppies to the spinning drive and the spinning drive to the SSD. And then, Intel to Apple Silicon. It's just the same thing where the first time you turn on a computer, 
with this Apple Silicon on it, immediately everything is just better. Yeah. And I'm I'm almost a little jealous of the people listening who haven't upgraded yet that are still on an Intel machine. Because you're going to get that moment, right? When you buy, whatever it is you buy, it doesn't matter if you buy a a, a used M1 or a brand new M3, you're going to make this massive jump in performance and battery life. And uh, the device isn't going to get as hot. And just everything is going to be better. And it it really is, well, you know, I still smile about it. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just, it's just so great. Because I love the platform and I love that this is like, it's like a new lease on life for the platform. You know that the Mac is healthy and good and it's going to be here a long time. Apple's making this silicon for the big product, the 50% of their revenue product, the iPhone, and this grows out of that. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think the, the Apple silicon is going to continue into the future. Yeah, absolutely. This is the course now. And with Apple controlling the system on a chip that powers these machines, a, a lot of good has come from it, right? Just looking at the pace of upgrades, we are now, as we record this, almost exactly three years into this, uh, we had the M1 in in 2020, the M2 in 2022, and the M3 just last year. So I don't know if there's enough data points here to say, okay, Apple's going to release this every 12 months, every 18 months. I think some of that's still kind of being figured out. But each of these updates has been solid. You know, we, we talked about three years ago, and you just mentioned it. Intel to Apple Silicon is like a one-time, you know, four, five, six, 10, 12x kind of move, depending on what you do and the details of your upgrade. But if you go from an M1 to an M3, it's still a solid update. Apple has proven three generations in that they can do these sort of evolutionary updates that are still meaningful. Now, Going from an M2 to an M3, yeah, that's not quite as exciting, but most people don't do that. Most people buy a Mac every three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. And if Apple continues on this trajectory where each time it's 15, 20, 40% faster, then that means when it's time to upgrade your M1 or M2, that you're going to, again, get a nice bump in performance for your money. And I've been nothing but encouraged seeing how this new architecture has played out in in that regard. It's great. And I don't think they're going to keep up with every 12 month upgrades on the M series chips. I think eventually the Mac may get to a point where we get, you know, every two years. And honestly, I don't care. I, I think that's fine. So long as it's continuing to get regular updates that aren't ridiculous in the old days of intel they were entirely dependent on intel and if intel had a problem then this wasn't it wasn't a new mac this year you yeah. know <laughs> yeah. now apple can be very very you know they control their own destiny and one of the running things if you listen to the show you know i've said this before but i think that they're going to hit a, a situation where people are not going to be upgrading as much because these macs are awesome and the chip is all consolidated into one wafer in essence memory storage everything and if you look at the ipad the ipad has worked on basically the same architecture since day one and ipads run forever um i talked about this recently and a, a listener wrote in and said he's still using an ipad 2 and you know so these things don't really die i think a lot of people are going to be super happy so long as you get enough storage that's always the caveat but yeah. if you get enough storage you can probably run these things a long time and Apple will probably see uh, 
the the increment of time between new Macs get longer, and maybe that'll encourage them to not do an update every year. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm really just kind of like making this stuff up here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't know. You know, it, it's still a new thing. We don't, but it doesn't matter. I I just my point is, it's in good hands. It's going to continue. And one of the things that that got a lot better recently is the the notebook line. Yeah, I mean the 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 Mac notebook line was such a mess for a long time, and now they've got basically two lines. You can get a MacBook Pro in fourteen or sixteen inches, and for the most part, you have the same options on both. Or you can get a MacBook Air in thirteen or fifteen inches. And with the new design, they all have MagSafe. The MacBook Pros have a bunch of ports again. And then for the more budget conscious purchaser, you have the M1 MacBook Air, which does lack some nicer features like MagSafe and and is the older design, but still an excellent computer. I've got two of those running around my house my kids do homework on, and they're fantastic. And when you go into an Apple store, it's very clear what the lines are, and you can look at them and kind of understand what the trade-offs are. I have questions about the future of the M1 MacBook Air, like when the M3 Air comes out, which is rumored to be maybe as early as March. What happens to the M1 Air? Does the M2 just disappear and the M1 kind of stay the same? Does it get the M2 somehow? Apple's got to answer that question, but I'm not that worried about it because now for the last several years, they've proven that they can have a notebook line that is easy to understand for someone just, you know, walking into an Apple store to buy their, buy a computer for their kid to take to college. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, the remaining M1 is there because they want to hit a price point yeah. and Apple's probably making a great margin on that. At now I would not be surprised if that M1 continues to be sell, sold for another couple of years, because honestly, it, there's no reason not to, it's a great computer even if you buy it a year from now, you're still going to get many years of performance out yeah. of it. the entry level M1 Apple Silicon is still very competitive and can run just about anything. There, there, you know, everything isn't rosy though. There, there's a few parts in the line that uh, we have clearly heard from some of our listeners as problems. One of them is the the large iMac. They they made a a great job of making this. You know the the um the 24 inch iMac, Mm -hmm. which Apple seems to be pretty clear is the iMac. You know, it's between the two sizes of the old one. They think that's the right size for an iMac. And that's the iMac that you get. They just updated it to M3. Um, There are listeners of this show who would very much prefer to buy a larger size iMac over a separate display and something like a Mac studio or a Mac mini. And, that is uh, that is a need that is not met. It is. It is very curious to me that that machine is uh, apparently on ice or or whatever. You know, not not coming anytime soon, if at all. What they've done is they've said, okay, the iMac is a consumer machine again. I wrote this piece a while back that I'm I'm really proud of of looking at the history of the iMac, and it started as a consumer machine, but basically almost immediately and definitely over time. It, it stretched to cover basically anyone's needs. And if you add the iMac Pro to that, like a huge range, right? From the, the cheapest entry-level iMac to the iMac Pro is about as wide of a breadth as you can get in the Mac lineup. 
And what yeah. they've done is they nope, the IMAX is a consumer machine. And yes, like it will meet the needs of some pros, not me, but some pros or people who just need a little bit more. But in doing that, they don't have a all-in-one solution for someone who needs more. And Apple seems content to tell those people, hey, get a M2 Pro Mac Mini, get a Mac Studio, get a MacBook Pro, like what I've done, and hook it up to a studio display. And in some ways, that solution is better. You don't have the problem of the display and the computer being one thing, and when one dies, the other one has to go with it. It, it is better objectively, I think, in a lot of ways to have your computer and your display separate. But I'm telling you, I, I when I first left my job and went indie, I bought a 5K iMac. I ran it for years. And then I bought an iMac Pro and I ran it for years. And to this day, I miss the all-in-one lifestyle. It's just some, something about it. Sitting down, you just have one thing. All the cables are in the back. Like There's something to that idea. And it is a bummer that Apple... Uh, at least for now, or again, maybe forever, is going to leave that solely in the in the consumer side of things. And and honestly, I think it's a bit of a mistake. I think there is demand out there for a larger Apple Silicon iMac. The fact that they addressed it directly, I think, shows that they know people want it, and they're saying, "Nope, we're going to go this other direction." Do you think environmental impact has a has a role in that decision? To a degree, I don't think it's the biggest decision or the biggest factor. I think the biggest factor for them is we make a bunch of desktops now and we have lots of good options and most people buy notebooks, but the environmental thing is a factor, right? If you have an iMac and the internal, you say nothing breaks, but use it for eight years. Uh, there was a, there was a form on the uh, a post on the MPU forums just this week about someone running Linux on an old iMac because the version of Mac OS it can run is ancient, but the hardware is still good. We're like, if that's not the case, like, what do you do? Do you recycle it? Or if the computer dies and you have the screen, you know, people hearken back to the target display mode days. It was like two years once a long time ago that you could use an iMac as an external display. If they brought that back, I think it would solve the environmental issue. But that doesn't seem to be in the cards either. And, and they could bring it back, I'm sure. I, I think the reason it went away originally was because of port limitations, but that's not true anymore. I mean, they're already sending a lot of yeah. uh, display data over a cable. They could do it. If they oh, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have an XDR, right, that drives way more data and pixels over Thunderbolt than a 27 iMac display would. And, uh, yeah, in fact, they dropped it when they went Retina, I think. And it's it's a bummer, but... Uh, this is the path Apple has has chosen, I guess. Yeah, and I'll, I will say, sounding like an apologist, that I actually am kind of happy with the separation of the monitor and the computer at this point. I, all, like you, had a 5K iMac, and I liked it, uh, but now I've had two or three computers hooked up to this one monitor, and that's fine. You know, so uh, it's not the end of the world. You can get a, a less expensive monitor than what Apple's charging, and... And there are solutions around it, but I also hear you. You know, I mean, if you if you wanted a big iMac, that's just not an option. And the fact that the the one they sell is in between the two, that's Apple's saying, hey, you know, we, we gave you the best of both worlds. It's 24. It's not quite as big as the 27, definitely bigger than the 20. But with the way things are, right, are, what I hear with that is, 
well, then I want a 30 inch iMac. You know, I don't want a 27 inch iMac. I want a bigger one. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just uh, Apple's made explicit, at least at this point, it's not going to happen. So uh, if you are looking to get one at this point, I think I would probably start looking at Mac Mini or Mac Studio and monitor combinations because I don't think you're going to get one anytime soon. Or maybe just see if you think you could live with a 24 inch. But it's not just the screen limitation, it's the processor limitation as well. I mean, the 24-inch iMac, you're not going to get as well-built of, you know, Apple Silicon as you would with some of the other builds. Yeah, for me, the reason I couldn't do it is partially screen. But yeah, it's the RAM and the storage space because in the Apple yeah. Silicon world, all that stuff is is tied together. All right, the other question mark over the existing hardware of the Mac is this year's newly announced Mac Pro, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, as you put in the notes, is just a Mac Studio with expansion slots, although you put just in, in quotation marks. Yeah, it's it's a curious machine. There were rumors a long time ago that there would be something just for it um, beyond the Ultra processor, and that hasn't come to pass. The Mac Pro has always been a weird machine, right? Like I, I wrote uh, at WWC or, or right afterwards that, Okay, there's a new Mac Pro. We can start worrying about the next one, <laughs> right? Like that—that's—that's that's how it goes. It's—it's—it's it's, it's an odd machine, and there there are people who need internal PCI either for storage or capture or whatever extra networking fiber. There's lots of things, but that's always come at least in the the past few years. That's come with hardware that you can't get anywhere else in the line, right? When I had my 2019 Mac Pro, which I ran for three years, it was awesome because I could have more RAM and more storage and and more processor power than anything else in the line. And that has been taken away in the new Mac Pro. And it, and it means that there are people who will be totally fine with a MacBook Pro or a Mac Studio that would previously have used a Mac Pro. So I don't know what the future of that machine is. Will it kind of linger on and get, you know, the the M3 Ultra at some point, but not get other things that would set apart like external GPU support or its own system on a chip. Uh, I just don't know. Uh, I don't know. But for a computer that didn't sell very well to begin with, it can't be that many 2019 Mac Pros out there. To take one of its legs out from under it is a curious choice. Okay, so one question for you on the Mac Pro. You know, it was rumored that there was this imaginary chip that was a double ultra chip that didn't didn't ship. But even that was complicated, right? Because it would always be double the RAM, double the, you know, the video um, chips. Do you think that that is the ultimate solution we're going for here? Or do you think Apple has something else in mind? I mean, that would answer the the sort of the the problem, air quotes, problem of, the performance being the same as the Mac Studio. If Apple wants to restore the Mac Pro to being a machine that if you need maximum performance is the only way you get it, that would solve it. Uh, There, of course, will still be people who want to be able to add their own GPUs and upgrade the GPUs over time, but that just seems at this point incompatible with the Apple Silicon ethos that Apple has has been working from now for, for three years. And so I think a quad chip would would be a good thing, and it would make me feel more confident about the future of the Mac Pro. But I don't know if there's enough business there to justify 
you know, the R&D and the expenditure in making those chips to to be worth it. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I feel like the existing one is a placeholder. I don't think this is the uh, the end of the story. I think that they have they have something in the future in mind or they probably wouldn't have even released this thing. So uh, that, that if I had to bet a nickel, I think that we're going to get uh, more on the Mac Pro story in the future. But the, the point I would make, and the final point on the Mac Pro is that this is the fringe computer for the people at the very end of the performance curve. Uh, oh, yeah. For most of us, the Apple Silicon transition was a massive win. Like the MacBook Air you get with Apple Silicon is way more than the MacBook Air you got with Intel Mac. For sure. And those machines, those those entry-level machines, they benefited the most from the transition in the first place. Okay, so now that we're we're done uh, complimenting Apple hardware on the Mac, I have some some requests. Uh, okay. I would like to see Apple take some risks. I feel like the Mac is a very stable platform. It's a very predictable platform. Why not, you know, revisit the idea of an ultralight? You know, the the 12-inch MacBook was a great machine, but it had an Intel chip that got hot and the battery died fast and blah, blah, blah. In this world of Apple Silicon, they could make something amazing. Or um, why not do a touchscreen or, you know, that tiltable iMac dream machine of mine where it's a, you know, it's an iMac and the big screen, you tilt it down, it turns into a massive, you know, iPad. I, I'd like to see them take some risks. I would too. Uh, I think, I think they've been really conservative through the transition uh, with the exception of the Mac studio, right? The Macs we have today are more or less what they were before. And uh, I think there's room for that. I think the touchscreen question is particularly interesting. I think something like a cellular-enabled Mac is maybe more more likely than touchscreen, but I think both would be welcome. Yeah. I mean, the, for the cellular, I think it's just a question of them finishing the cellular chip. Apple bought the, I think it was the IBM, or was it the uh, Intel? Intel. Cell, Intel? I think it was the Intel Cellular Technologies and it's no secret they've been working on their own cellular chip for years. It's just not ready yet. I feel like that, when that's done, is when it'll end up in a Mac, when Apple can own own that chip. But um, but that one, to me, isn't even really a risk, right? Yeah, so we put a cellular phone in it, <laughs> yeah. or a cellular radio in it. But, but I'd like to see them try something else, too. And I think maybe the problem is it's a big company with a lot of... Um, you know, they've got a lot of units and everything to them is on such a scale. They're like, well, we can't afford to make a little one that's not going to sell in the gazillions. But, you know, you could. You really could. And even if it's a niche little Mac that not everybody buys, it'd be cool that you had it. And uh, that's something I'd like to see them do. Yeah, th- sort of the return of that, you know, 12-inch MacBook. Uh, you know, years and years ago, we all kind of thought that's where they would start. <laughs> with Apple Silicon, it's like, oh, you could just put an uh, iPhone chip in that thing and it'd be miles better than the the Intel Core yeah. M that those 12-inch MacBooks were saddled with all those years ago. I think there's room for an ultralight, you know, small kind of sub-notebook, but they can't replicate the confusion that it caused last time where it and the old MacBook Air pre-Retina and the 13-inch MacBook Pro were all within a couple hundred dollars of each other. I think if yeah. they do an ultralight, it's got to be distinct from those other machines in a way that is clear to people who are shopping. 
Yeah, and that's fine. And the 13-inch MacBook Air is probably ultralight enough. But what I was thinking is even kind of bigger. Like, just make something weird that's a Mac. That You know, you guys have labs. You're always testing everything. We've heard that. It'd be cool. I just, I don't know. It's just me. Just me. What about software? I feel like this year with with macOS Sonoma, it's been it's been a pretty solid year. I mean, we spent how much time did we spend this year talking about Apple's continued focus on productivity on the Mac? And Sonoma really was all about that in terms of the the features that it brings, the app updates that were bundled with it. And I'm really happy with that that continued focus on productivity. That's what the Mac is for. The Mac is for sitting down and doing your work. And so the better they can make that, the the happier I'll be. It is, I think, on the right track. And and as the operating system has stabilized and you know they dealt with the 32 to 64 transition and they've they've done so much work under the hood that now you're starting to see more work on the paint job and the interiors. Mm-hmm. And part of that for me is I feel like a renewed interest in Apple's productivity apps. I continue to struggle with these apps in the sense that they're getting good enough that I consider using them as like my daily drivers because they're really good apps. And there's always a little bit missing for me. I'm a power user. I want some additional features aren't there, but they're not that far off. And I would love to see Apple just to continue to push forward on that stuff. And know that anybody who buys a Mac is going to have a great set of apps to run their life out of right out of the box. Yeah, it's it's that tension we've spoken about so many times where Apple has to make tools for the masses. But as those tools get better, those of us who need more kind of look at them like, oh, maybe I could squeeze down into reminders. You know, maybe I could use notes instead of Obsidian or something else. And there's always going to be that friction, I think. But I think what's more important is Apple continuing to make those products better and better for the 80%, 90% of people who do rely on them. Yeah, because the fact is, you and me, we say we're going to do it, then we try it, we're like, oh, no, this is going to work. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, there you go. Um, But, you know, it's been stable. Uh, They're making improvements in the places where they need the dictation stuff this year. I'm a broken record on it, but it's much better. And um, there is just a lot, a lot to like about the software that Apple is shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, things I would like, I would like to see a renewed interest in Apple Mail. I, I've, I've gone through the gamut so many times of trying to quit Apple Mail and go into something else, and I always end up back in Apple Mail. But boy, I wish Apple didn't make me want to leave Apple Mail so much. And uh, last year we got some improvements. This year we really didn't get much. Um, I would like to see Apple put more effort into making Apple Mail this something that is is usable uh, for people that want a little bit more in terms of feature sets. So some of the stuff that is very common in most mail apps just hasn't arrived in Apple Mail and it doesn't make any sense. Uh, one feature that stands out to me is like Spark and and Hey have the screener where the first time you get an email from somebody, you can just say no, never again. And like, that's such an Apple feature. That sounds exactly like something that Apple would want to implement. And um, I'd like to see stuff like that show up in Apple Mail. Yeah, it would be, it would be sweet. You know, I think having that competition on the Mac, I mean, even something like MimeStream, which is sort of a more traditional mail client, but 
at least for right now, like custom built for Gmail, like that's good for Apple Mail. It will encourage that team to continue to push the ball forward, just like having good third-party notes apps and reminders apps and weather apps have made all those apps better too. I have a repeating reminder in OmniFocus every six months to to Google Fast Mail MimeStream. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I heard the uh, the CEO once say, oh, yeah, we're very interested in, in yeah. you know, Fast Mail. And with it, Fast Mail has its own mail protocol. I forget what they call it, something. Uh, JMAP. The, uh, JMAP. I, I, I want so much for them to do that. And the day they announce a beta, I'm, I'm hooking it up. Yeah, it is on their, quote, considering section of their roadmap. So yeah. maybe one day. One thing I, th- I think people talk about some is, is it time for Mac OS to sort of adopt the iOS and iPadOS strategy of backing up to iCloud? You know, it, on the Mac, it's kind of weird. Like, if I have a new Mac and I log into iCloud, honestly, I get a bunch of my stuff. I get all my photos. I get my Safari stuff. I get all my notes, contacts, calendars. But I don't get everything. I don't get, you know, stuff in my downloads folder. I don't get desktop and documents unless I've turned that synchronization on. Do you think that that is a route Apple could take of, you know, let's leave Time Machine as it is, where you have your local disk, you know, on your desk or whatever, taped to the back of your iMac. But in addition to that, having true full system iCloud backup for the Mac. Do you think that's feasible? Uh, if it's technically feasible, they should absolutely do it. I mean, this should be something where nobody has to think about how to do a backup system or, you know, go buy a spinning drive or whatever. Uh, and users have got used to the fact that if they drop their phone in the ocean, they can get a new one and get back up and running in no time. I feel like the Mac should absolutely follow suit. The question in my mind is, there's a lot of data on our Macs. Uh, do they have the bandwidth that they're at their storage centers to like handle something like that. You know, there may be some technical limitations that are holding them up, but if they have the technical feasibility and the available storage to do it, uh, I would turn it on tomorrow. It would be sweet. I mean, I love Backblaze and used it for a long time, but a lot of people are just going to use, you know, first party solutions and time machines great. But if you're a notebook user, it can be problematic, right? Because you're not plugging that thing in all the time. People may not even know Time Machine exists. So I, yeah. I would like them to to have this as an option for people. So some people won't pay for the storage. But for the people who do, I think it would be a really nice option. And you know, Tim, and I know Tim listens to us when he's in the gym. That guy's ripped. Have you seen pictures of him lately? No, he's like, jacked. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. The uh, So I'm like, Tim, when you're in between pumping iron, just remember that Steve and Dave told you you could make more services revenue if you did that. <laughs> That's <Just> right. <laughs> this episode of MPU is brought to you by Text Expander. Get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what is most important. With Text Expander, your team's knowledge is at their fingertips. Get everyone on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone who needs it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and they're not spending time reinventing the wheel. Here's how it works. First, you store it. Keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and more right within Text Expander, And then share it. Get your whole team access to all the content they need to use every day 
organize it by department, and expand it. Deploy that content with just a few keystrokes on any device across any apps your team is using. It really is that easy. Text Expander is available on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Show listeners will get 20% off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up. That's 20% off at textexpander.com slash MPU. Okay, now let's talk about the big one, the iPhone. 50% of Apple's revenue is off one product, and it goes in your pocket. Uh, How is Apple doing on the hardware uh, of the iPhone? Man, I feel like a broken record every time we do one of these iPhone hardware is awesome. <laughs> like it is, uh, it's so good. I think they've done a, a really good job in particular this year. The 15 pro and pro max are just, they're just awesome. I finally got around to writing my review of the 15 pro max. You know what? Yeah. It's a pretty dang good phone and the design is awesome. The camera is amazing. The, the weight reduction with the titanium rails and the new aluminum frame. It's really good. I have really no complaints about the modern iPhone hardware. And I think even the the business model of you have the regular and the pro, some years that's been muddier than others. This year it makes really clear sense the differences between them. And I think uh I think it's important when we think about this to remember that in its first year of production, the iPhone Pro is gonna sell really well. And then the Pro gets replaced every year. But that those entry models, the iPhone 15 and 15 Plus, those will be sold in their first year, of course. Of course, there's people with iPhone 15s and 15 Pluses out there. But they're also designed for the people who are going to buy a new phone in one, two, or three years from now. And as that technology be, continues to trickle down, the whole ecosystem gets better. I really think they're in a sweet spot with this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's no question that this is not only the product that gets half the revenue, it also gets a lot of the attention from, you know, Apple. They they put a lot of effort into making it great. They've got a great hardware department. Um, specifically, I feel like some of the, the hardware allowances they've made in the last few years have been really quite useful. Um, the action button, to me, is... I think a great improvement. Mm-hmm. I use it all the time. I, in fact, I wanted to talk to you about that. Are you using your action button at this point? I talking to people in the labs, I get the impression a lot of people thought it was kind of fun for the first week and haven't really adopted it that much. But I, I use it all the time. I do too. Uh, initially, I just had to hook it up to the camera and didn't use it very much. But yeah. I, in at some point since, create a shortcut that all it does is I press the action button. I get a text box and whatever I type in that text box gets saved to my inbox and to doist my task manager. And yeah. that's fantastic to be able to very quickly pull out my phone or pick up my phone, plug something in and sit my phone back down. Right. And then, you know, I sort, I don't keep, I don't keep anything in my to doist inbox. Like if there's anything there, I know I need to file it or just do it or whatever. I need, you know, manage it somehow, but it's the fastest, task entry mechanism i've ever had and i really am enjoying it yeah yeah me too my mine is contextual like if i'm at disneyland it turns into a camera if i'm working it does something else but 
I really, I think it's great. And that's the kind of innovation I like. I mean, somebody's listening going, oh, great. They added a button. He's all excited. But they added a programmable button. And that gives you a lot of options on an Mm -hmm. iPhone. I thought that was pretty good. The other thing I wanted to ask your thoughts are on the iPhone camera system. Like the, the big driver of sales of iPhones, I think, is not people wanting to get an action button or... Uh, you know, process their email 5% faster. But I think the camera system is what sells iPhones. Is Apple living up to the promise every year to make the camera, you know, better enough? I think so. And I think in particular this year with the 5X on the Pro Max, it's pretty great. Having that extra zoom really changes the types of photos you can take with this phone, right? I go to a lot of sporting events. Having the ability to like, take a picture of the football field or the basketball court from way far away and it be clear and not be those chunky pixels you get with digital zoom, it's really great. And, and then having the other sensors be better and better each year, I think it continues to be a reason most people upgrade an iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, it's fine. In fact, I find that it's got to a point where I just don't, bring the fancy camera out of the house very often. Like if, if somebody needs graduation photos or something, I will go do a photo shoot of them with my fancy camera. But for everything else, the iPhone is, is just good enough. And it's in my pocket, as they say. That's the key, right? It's always with you. And I look back through my photo library and I'm sure everyone does this, right? Like, Oh, I took that picture with an iPhone four kind of wish that picture was better, but yeah, I wouldn't have that picture at all if it hadn't been for the phone in my pocket, right? Because it was in a situation where I didn't have my big camera or whatever. And there's something to be said for that. And as time goes on, it's harder and harder to tell the difference, especially when you're just looking at them on an iPhone or an iPad, of was this taken with an iPhone? Was this taken with a point and shoot? You know, I can still tell my big DSLR photos apart, but it has grown so much over time that it really has taken on almost all of my photography needs and, and been just fine. Well, one issue I have is there's always like a difference in quality between the primary lens and the other two lenses, the wide and the zoom. I'm talking about the iPhone pro, but this would be true on the standard iPhone with the two lenses, but that primary lens always is of better quality clearly. And mm-hmm. As a result, I primarily shoot on that primary lens and try to avoid the others for like pictures I want to really appreciate. I wish that they got to a point where every year each of those three lenses were of the same quality and I didn't have to think about the quality differences between them as I shoot with it. Mm -hmm. I think it would be pretty cool if all of the rear cameras had that 48 megapixel sensor and all of them could do the cool 24 megapixel thing that the 15 pro can do. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe that'll be the iPhone ultra, you know, that rumor that's floating out there that there could be a truly high end, you know, really high end phone yeah. at some point. That would be nice that even today, especially if you go to the ultra wide, it feels like I'm really trading off some quality for the optics I get. And I would like that not to be the case. So I think you're totally right that that would be a, a really nice addition. What do you think of this rumored iPhone Ultra? So for folks not aware, this rumor has cropped up now for a year or two that Apple's working on an Ultra iPhone. So something above a Pro. 
you know, they and they've used the ultra word now in several products, including the watch. Um, do you think there's room for a, a third tier iPhone? I I do think that there is. I think in particular if Apple can kind of like the notebook conversation and make it really clear what you're getting for your money and that it's different than the other things, right? If it's just the iPhone 15 or, you know, 15 Pro Max, but tweaked a little bit, I don't think that's enough to justify it. I think it really would need to be a step above what we've seen so far. You know, just like the Apple Watch Ultra was, right? Like you and I both wear the first generation Apple Watch Ultra. And it's the best Apple Watch I've ever had because the battery life's great. The screen is amazing. The design is different and I think much better than the regular Apple Watch. So if they can take those things and mix them into the iPhone line, I think it does make sense to do that. I'm just a little concerned when I think about this rumor of like, what if it's just a rebadged Pro Max and it's not really, Apple doesn't really swing big for it. And I think they should swing big with this one if they do it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, one of the problems Apple has is they make a new iPhone and they've got to sell a lot of them. So that yeah. holds them up from using some of the better parts because you just can't get them in the quantity they need. So if they made an ultra iPhone that had the very best parts but had a higher price, it's going to chase away a lot of people. Uh, maybe they could find a way to, you know, be testing in public, in essence, those newer more advanced features for future standard iPhones and allow us nerds to get our hands on the cool stuff early. I, I could see room for it, but you're right. They've got to make it great. And of course there has to be some element of orange on it. Of course it's the best, uh, it's the best color for, for hardcore devices for pro users, you know? Yes. Got I got the button right here. The button right here is orange on my watch. It's great. Yeah. I love it. I look at my orange button every time. Love that. Funny though, I don't use that action button as much as I do on the iPhone. I don't either. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to the watch. But yes, I, I don't either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about iOS 17. You know, I feel like with macOS Sonoma, and this goes to what I said in the opening, like a lot of the features are across all the platforms now, and that's awesome. I feel like 17 has been a pretty good year in terms of stability. I think there were some battery life issues early on. I definitely experienced them. I think some of our listeners did too. That seems to be settled down now. I mean, like as we're recording, 17.2 is brand new. And, uh, you know, I assume we'll see 17.3 before too long. But it does continue continue to be a, a pretty solid release. I feel like I haven't really had some of the pain I've had in other years. Does it feel like, I just feel like Apple's got more stable across the board with its software lately. And I don't know what internal changes led to that, but that's good. The features that Apple has adding every year, I think Apple's at their best when they go through the process of adding a few features with each major update and they don't try and like set the world on fire, (laughs) but they, uh, but, but they, you know, being Apple, they make a big deal about it. But I, I feel like those those more meager years are some of my favorite. Um, so I uh, I'm I'm happy with generally what they're doing. I, I do think that there is a big um, there's a big thing called AI looming over all of Apple's operating systems, where people are starting to use it, and there are genuine uses for some of that AI stuff. 
I think it can make you more productive if you're smart about the way you implement it. And uh, Apple will probably never call it AI, but there certainly is room for them to expand uh, that into the system more. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the phone would be a great platform for that uh, to say, you know, hey, little thing that goes in my pocket, you know, do this stuff for me and use AI to make sure that happens easier. Yeah. I would like to see them embrace that more into these operating systems. I think the other thing that looms over iOS is legislation around the world to separate the operating system from the app stores, from the payment vendors. As we're recording just yesterday, Google lost the case with Epic and, and which basically says Google used their power as a monopoly tying the play store and play payment services. Now that doesn't directly apply to Apple, but Apple's going to get shrapnel from that probably depending on how that case turns out. And we've already seen it in other parts of the world where uh legislation or or legal cases have looked at this issue with Apple controlling the store and the payment and uh payment platform and saying you can't sideload these things. You can't use outside payments. You can't uh, bring apps in from other places. I honestly do not think the way that the app store works today will be the way that it works in five years. I do think change is coming here and it's just a matter of what that looks like and how Apple responds to it. And that feels like um, this big cloud on Apple's horizon, getting closer and closer to Apple park. Right. Uh, I personally, I think most of that is probably good for consumers in the end to have options. I think, Uh, most people or a lot of people will still just default to the first party stuff and that's totally fine. But whatever happens here, these changes will mean real differences for how the iPhone ecosystem works. And I think in some ways, this is maybe the most interesting thing in the next two, three, four years of, of Apple's business. Yeah. Side loading is coming. I I don't think there's any question. And uh, how that looks and who does it is all up in the air right now. There was an article I read recently that said Microsoft is looking at making its own app store for the iPhone to sell, you know, the Microsoft game stuff because yeah. they couldn't make it work with Apple uh, when they were trying to do it before because Apple won't let you and blah, blah, blah. And so they're going to just make their own app store. And while we we're all thinking, well, I'm not going to sideload, I'm not going to go to some you know, shady third party app store that is who knows where and going to get my credit card. But then you're like, Oh, Microsoft, huh? Right. Well, I could maybe trust them. Right. And then suddenly mm-hmm. side loading is a thing. And I, I think it's going to happen. Uh, questions in my mind are, are they just going to do it in jurisdictions where they're legally required? I mean, you could see that happening. Like in the EU, they've got legislation that seems like it's inevitable. They're going to have side loading there, but does that mean they'll open it up everywhere else at the same time? And, you know, what's Apple going to do about it? Clearly, they're not happy about it. They want to control the experience. Uh, they want to control the apps that show up on your device. They don't want, you know, stories. Because you know what's going to happen when sideloading starts? Somebody's going to make an app that, like, slurps out your banking information. And that's going to mm-hmm. be a huge news story that the iPhone got hacked and blah, blah, blah. And Apple's like, we didn't even control this. You know, we had no chance to stop this app. It came in through sideloading. And the way the news cycles run, I don't think a lot of people will get that nuance. So I, I understand why Apple's concerned about it. But um, at the same time, I, I don't think there's there's any question it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Apple's 
dug a hole for themselves with the 30 percent that oh yeah that that's gonna come back to to get them do you think that if they had been more reasonable over the years about that that this that that would have come to this maybe i mean we've seen them make changes that would that seem like apple thinks so right moving the subscription after the first year it drops to 15 percent uh, yeah. Having the App Store small business program, where if you net, I think less than a million dollars a year, you, it's fifteen percent instead of thirty. Like, they have done things that indicate that they realize, oh, this is too piece of too big of a piece of the pie uh, for where yeah. we are today. But my guess is that's too little, too late. Because once these conversations have started, then they quickly move to the conversation about about control. And you mentioned Microsoft. I think. Even a clear example of how this could work is Adobe. So if you work on the Mac and you have Adobe products like I do, you have the Creative Cloud app. And I go in there and that's how I download, you know, oh, I, you know, I need the new version of Illustrator. Or I need to reinstall the old version of Photoshop or manage my account, right? It's all in there. And it works seamlessly. Like it actually works really well. They're just side by side with all the other Mac apps on my Mac. Now, obviously the iPhone is different because there've never been outside ways to get software in. But I do believe that Apple can build the protections into iOS to make sure that that worst case scenario is really difficult or maybe impossible to to take place. But um, I do think Apple is afraid of that bad press. I do also think they're, they don't want to lose the 30%, right? Like they, yeah, their services is where their growth is as a company. And like it or not, Apple's a publicly traded company and publicly traded companies have to manage their growth, right? That's what Wall Street is about. That's what this this whole thing is about is... Well, they have to manage their 90-day growth. The, yeah. the long-term doesn't matter as much. Right. And services <laughs> has been how they've chosen to do that, for right or for wrong. And the App Store is a big part of that. The, the Google paying them a bajillion dollars to be searched in Safari is a big part of that. And it kind of feels like that's over the whole ecosystem, but man, the iPhone is the center of that storm in a way that I, I don't think Apple loves. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. Just go to electric.ai MPU. Turning a small business into an empire takes work, and you have to keep your ear to the ground for things that will help you take it to the next level. But this can be hard when your attention is pulled in different directions, because that's the reality of being a boss. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software, so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale. And employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications. While simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance. And proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows make IT easy to manage for even non-technical users. And look, if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. It's easy to think you can do your own IT. 
Heck, maybe you can't even do some of it, but you're not going to be able to do as well as an expert. You want people to come in that can do this for you. Moreover, you need to spend your time working on the business, not the IT. And for Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. Once again, that is E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C dot A-I slash MPU. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a qualified meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power Users. Let's talk about the iPad. A weird year for the iPad. No new iPad hardware in 2023, except for one weird Apple Pencil, which I guess we can talk about. But no new (laughs) tablets this year. Yeah. Does anybody care? I mean, was the problem that the hardware wasn't good enough? I no. mean, you know, no. the, uh, I feel like the, the story on the iPad is we didn't get any new hardware and it's still a really good iPad. You know, <laughs> they, they could, they could afford to take a year off the hardware. Um, the, uh, it, it, that's not the problem with the iPad, but, but, you know, still let's talk about iPad hardware. There are some things that, that I think need attention. And one of them is just the state of the, the product family. We just got done saying that what a good job they figured it out for the iPhone and the Mac. Is the iPad just as good? Uh, the iPad is a confusing product to shop for. I mean, yeah, y- you walk in the App Store, the Apple Store, and yeah, I'm going to buy a tablet, right? You may have an idea of like which one you want, but if you're looking in the middle of the range, you have like the 10th gen, the iPad Air. They basically look the same, although they don't work the same, like different keyboards that aren't compatible with each other. And then you also have an 11-inch iPad Pro, which is way more money, but basically it looks the same as the others. I just, I think right now it's messy in the same way that the Mac notebook line was messy back in the touch bar days. And I don't know how they get out of that. German, uh, Mark German has written a lot about this over the last couple of weeks about maybe they do this or that. I think Apple's desire to have a tablet at every price point has made the lineup just it's just confusing for people and i would like to see them simplify that but i don't know if um i don't know if they can do that in a way that like that they would find satisfactory like if they just had the cheap ipad that ipad air in the middle and a couple ipad pros like they did years ago like i don't think apple wants that i think apple likes that there's price optionality but it does make it confusing well, I feel like, you know, it's hard to talk about hardware improvements to a device that's selling point is it's basically a piece of glass that's a screen with very minimal, you know, bezel around the side. That uh-huh. I mean, that's or that's the whole idea, right? Um, but I would like to see them improve it. Like I feel like the action button is a natural find for a future iPad. Now that we've got it on the phone and the watch, the the iPad should get one too. Um I do like the idea of camera placement being reconsidered like why not put a camera in both the horizontal and the vertical yeah. for people who want to use these things for, for conferencing i just talked to somebody recently on a zoom call and they were looking to the right side of the of the camera the whole time and i knew exactly what was going on they had an ipad right the camera is low and pointing to the side and mm-hmm. if you look at the person on the call it always looks like they're looking away and uh, the iPad for the amount of money, especially some of the upper ones, cost. They could probably afford to put another camera in it. I, 
I, I would like to see them, you know, try to to upgrade some of the hardware. Yeah, I think that may be part of the simplification. Because like right now, that tenth gen iPad has a lot of those new ideas in it, right? Like the yeah. <laughs> like the camera on the long side. But then that meant the pencil couldn't go there because the pencil was designed yeah. back for 2018. It's just uh they've got to sort that stuff out. I think they will. I think the tenth gen iPad is sort of the that's where they want to move. Now they gotta they gotta fix the Apple pencil problem and They've done that so far by introducing a new kind of middle ground Apple pencil just last month or two months ago now. But yeah, that's not the solution. Though. It's not the solution. Uh, people want something that clips onto the side, right, and charges, you know, without a wire and all that stuff. But I, I think they'll get there. Uh, it seems like maybe as early as as March there could be iPad updates, and and we'll see. I think the other thing they can do to clear the lineup is like really lean into the iPad Pro being the nice one. Like the 12.9 has the micro LED that's never come to the 11 inch, you know, make both of those things OLED or micro LED really make the iPad pros distinctly different in terms of, of what they can do. And the answer is not putting them three in it and have all the other ones on the M2 because on the iPad, like unless you're truly the top 1% of iPad users, all iPads have been fast enough for a really long time. I don't think, anyone really cares about what processor is in their iPad. I think it's much more about how's the screen, how's the sound, you know, how what are the accessories like? How do they connect? I think they've they have all those levers they can pull to make it make it make more sense. What are you doing with your iPad these days? Are you still rocking the iPad mini? Uh I was until very recently and one of the kid iPads uh wasn't updatable anymore. So my youngest has my iPad mini now as sort of his, you know, homework and, and, you know, uh, screen time <laughs> iPad. Uh, so I, uh, bought a refurbished, I don't even know which one year it is, uh, off the top of my head, 11 inch iPad pro. So I'm back on that size. Wow. And, you um, seem very happy with the mini. I'm surprised. I, I really was. I really liked the mini. And i tell you what, what pushed me. I almost just, I almost just did another mini, but, um, I've taken on some outside stuff. Like I'm on a, a a board of an organization now. And like, it's it's actually quite a bit of meetings and that sort of stuff. And I found the iPad to be actually pretty great for that, for that sort of work where I can have like a PDF on one side and Apple notes on the other and just like take notes to the meeting without taking my full laptop. And so I did the pro as like an experiment of like, can I do some like really light computing on the iPad again? Because with the mini, I just gave up on productivity on the iPad. It was like, it was a Netflix machine, man. Like, that's all it was. Yeah. And with a slightly bigger screen, I feel like I've been able to move back into that a little bit. But say they revised the iPad Pro in March or, you know, October or some point next year, like, I'm like, I'm fine with what I have. It's like a refurbished M1, I think, and it will last forever and it's fine. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, like how old married couples, like, get the same preferences without communicating i i feel like you and me are getting like that because i've had a similar <laughs> experience i my uh my teacher daughter needed an ipad for school and they weren't going to give her one so she was saving for it and she's got a teacher salary right you know i'm like yeah. look i'm gonna loan you my mini and let's just see how this goes and um if it's usable to you and i don't really need it you can just keep it and 
That's what you do when your kids get a salary. You don't just give them the stuff. You like you give yourself a backup, you know, mm. a way out. But I, I, I'm going to let her keep it, and she's using it every day in school. And I got the 11 inch out of kind of mothballs. I wasn't using it much, and for the last three or four months, I've been using that. And I even took down the 12.9 inch that I had on the desk as kind of the status board thing because I wasn't using it as much anymore. I've got the big screen; everything's kind of going good. And I was thinking, you know, I could get by with just this 11 inch. It's fine. The only the only downside is beta season when I want to like load up the latest beta and I don't have an extra one. And so I can't make up my mind if I sell the 12.9 inch or just keep it around as the beta or mm-hmm. not. But I've been really enjoying the 11 inch again. And maybe that's just the one for me. Like you, I, I don't think, I think mine predates M1. Yeah. I know it doesn't like do all the latest and greatest stuff. I guess it's telling that neither one of us actually know which iPad we own. <laughs> yeah, I had to look. I just had to like search my inbox to so like Apple Store iPad and, and found it. And it, I bought it refurbished. You know, it's a base model with whatever the sixty four yeah. gigs or whatever. Like, it's totally fine. And I think that's how most people look at the iPad. And so, like you said at the beginning of this chapter, not having new hardware in twenty twenty three probably actually not that big of a deal if they're taking the time to make it more easy to understand which iPad you should buy. Yeah. Yeah. What about the software? Oh man. Uh, I knew we'd get there. Um, My story has not changed. (laughs) The iPad software is great if you want an iPad to do iPad things, but that's the extent of it. Yeah. Everything they've done to iPad OS and they've, you know, they've, reworked a lot of stage manager and done a lot of these other things for me. And I think for a lot of people, it just, it just doesn't compete with Mac OS and, and it, it may never compete with Mac OS. Like maybe Apple's getting to a point where they kind of realize it's actually maybe not the future of computing that they once said it would be. And, you know, you said the super smart thing years ago in the six colors report card, like I kind of done fighting the iPad. Like it is what it is, you know, uh, and this is where I am with it. That's definitely where I am too. I'm not pushing on the limits of iPad OS because anytime I've tried that in the past, I end up frustrated. And when you pair that with, dang, these Mac notebooks are really good now, y'all. Like, what's the point? I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be dismissive, but for me, the my MacBook Pro is so good and the battery life is so long. And that that's that's the perfect mobile machine for me. And so I have sort of, in a way, reconciled to myself, like, you know what, iPadOS is just not going to be what I want it to be. And what I actually want is macOS. And uh, I've just come to peace with that. That said, I do all sorts of productive work on it. Like, I keep it in my studio. I've got my fancy desk with the, you know, the Mac uh, studio on it. But next to it, I've got a comfy chair. I sit there all the time and read books and I have my iPad next to it and I pull that thing open and I open up drafts and dictate long blog posts. Um, The productivity field guide that I'm working on has a book as part of it. It's the first time in a long time I've released something that has a book as part of it, but the book is in pages at this point. Uh, Pages will be where I can export it as an EPUB. I'm adding graphics and whatnot. And I've done almost all of the work on that over the last several months on this 11-inch iPad with a keyboard sitting in that chair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fine. Pages works great. It's, 
it does the things you need it to do. You can be productive with it. You just can't record a podcast with it and do, you know, Mac power user type of work with it. And, and like we've said now several times, our problem was we were trying to do that stuff and we would find ways to kind of make it work, but it never really worked. And it's just not necessary. I mean, it's just, doesn't matter. And like you said, you get an you get a a MacBook Air, which is about the same weight as an iPad, but it's got a built-in keyboard, and it does Mac things. Surprise, right? So just treat it that way and see if it's useful to you or not. You can make your own choice. But but I don't even know that I'm complaining about the state of iPad software. I think it just kind of is what it is. I don't think Apple has changed. I think Apple's kind of always felt this way. It's us on the outside that we're trying to read more into it in hindsight. It, it's it's me, not you, Apple. Yeah, I think I think all that's fair. I, I think that the iPad is the tension like within Apple over the iPad is so clear in the product itself, right? That they don't want to make it the Mac because then what's the point? And it's got to be more than the iPhone. And some of the decisions they've made have been truly bizarre over the years. Like if you if you look back over some of the multitasking stuff in particular in iPadOS, some of those ideas are just weird, man. They're just weird. But yeah, I think for the people who can make it work as a full-time computer, that's that's awesome. Like having something so thin and so light being your only machine is really cool and futuristic. But for the rest of us, there are other options. And I think that's fine too. Like both are okay. And just to bang the AI drum one more time, I think the iPad is another device that if Apple put in some sort of AI-based automation, like think about, I don't know, a simplified shortcuts that runs off your voice, I think the iPad could be a huge beneficiary of a technology like that. I think so too. Apple Watch, how are we doing? Yeah, uh, another one of those things, kind of like the iPad, pretty quiet year for hardware, right? We had the Ultra 2 and the Series 9. That did add some features, but aren't the sort of big updates that I think some people want, and particularly in the the mainstream Apple Watch, where that design is is feeling a, a pretty pretty old at this point. I think, if I could be honest, uh, but I think overall, like the iPad, there are lots of options, and that's good in a product like the watch. I mean, my my brother and sister in law just got their first Apple watches. And they got uh, Apple Watch SEs, which I think not on sale is still a little too expensive, but they got them on sale somewhere. And they're really happy with them, right? Like they don't, you know, I told them, I was like, and if you spend a little more, you have a screen that's always on and this and that. They didn't really, those features didn't seem interesting to them. So they were able to get in the Apple Watch ecosystem for the very first time for not much money. And then on the other end, you have the Ultra, which continues to be fabulous. I had no, like, not even a, a hint of desire to upgrade my Apple Watch Ultra this year because the first one is still so good. But if you are getting into the Ultra for the first time, the Ultra 2 is is fantastic. So the hardware, while quiet this year, I think is still mostly okay. I just do hope something happens with the Series 10 to, to freshen up that design. And maybe they take some cues from the Ultra. Uh, maybe they don't. But I think it's it's time to see some changes in that that mainstream Apple Watch. Yeah, and even though I have no interest in the Ultra 2 because I have the 1, the fact that it was released, I think, is important, that this is a product that they're going to take serious. It's going to get a yearly update. It's always going to be the latest and greatest. I I think so, too. You know, I I never really understood the rumors of, oh, there's not going to be an Ultra 2. It's going to be an every two-year thing. 
that never made much sense to me because with the Apple Watch, very clearly Apple's okay with really minor updates year over year. And I don't know why that would have been different for the Ultra. And it's the most expensive one. And Apple likes to keep those keep those fresh. The thing with the hardware and the Apple Watch, honestly, is is really not about, in my mind, the the look of the device. It's the sensors. I mean, how much further can they go with health sensors? Because that's so critical to what the device is at this point. Uh, I know I know one person at least whose life was saved by an Apple Watch. I think it's increasingly becoming a thing where people know somebody like that. And, you know, blood glucose is on the horizon. There, there's a bunch of sensors Apple's been working on that if they can, if they can figure that stuff out, the, uh, the Apple Watch, that's the biggest hardware improvement you can make to an Apple Watch. To me, I don't need, a, I don't need it to become round instead of square or something. I, I need it to do more to keep me alive. Yeah. I mean, if you think back to when the Apple Watch was introduced, it was like, it's going to be your iPhone replacement. But what it has become for me at least, is some notification stuff, but most, mostly health and fitness. And the fact that it can monitor my health in the background, right? not even talking about exercise tracking, but just the background stuff, right? Tracking my sleep, keeping an eye on my blood oxygen level, letting me know if I'm in a, an environment that's too loud, uh, letting me know if, hey, your heart rate really doesn't match what's going on right now. And knowing firsthand, unfortunately, that the car crash detection works after I was in a pretty scary car accident earlier in the year. That stuff is what makes me strap on my Apple watch every morning. Right. Cause for a long time I went back and forth. I'd wear the Apple watch for months and then I'd wear another watch. Right. But over the last couple of years, it's really become about that background, like health and fitness safety net feature set that I care about the most and I think Apple's clearly passionate about that stuff. And uh, and it works, right? Like, you know, my car accident wasn't in the middle of nowhere, right? It was it was in a, in a very busy intersection. But if it had been in the middle of nowhere and I wasn't able to call 911, uh, my, my conjunction with my watch and my phone could have done that for me. And there's so many stories out there of, I didn't know I had a cardiac issue. And my watch tapped me one day and said, hey, you got something going on. Maybe... Maybe go let your doctor know, you know, yeah. how many people out there that that has been true of over the years. And that's what makes this product so important, I think. And that honestly is what, what pushes it. I, I know people in my life that I'm encouraging to get one. And normally I don't push Apple hardware on people. I'm not that guy, but I'm like, look, you're of a certain age. This thing might make a difference for you. And all yeah. you have to do it's been, you know, some money on it and strap it on your wrist. Yeah. And I have encouraged a lot of people around me to to buy these watches for that very reason. So I, I think, you know, the hardware question with the Apple Watch is what additional sensors can you give me? What additional data can you give me about my health? And going over to the software story, I think that's the same thing. I think we got the story wrong on the Apple Watch from the beginning, you know, partly because Apple was talking about, oh, you can get all these apps on your watch. You know, and after this many years, do the apps really matter on your watch? I, I was looking and there's a couple that I, I use, but I think the real benefit is the device is a health monitor and a notification device. And mm -hmm. they should lean into that with both the software and the hardware and make the, the apps secondary because for most people, 
the apps don't even they don't even exist as a secondary thing. You just use the apps on it, and you never go further. Yeah, I only have a, a couple that I use on any regular basis. And if they were gone, honestly, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I would still I would still wear uh, the Apple Watch. For me, it's carrot weather and Todoist. But having yeah. that sort of background information gathered all the time that's what I that's what I care about. And I I, I do think Watch OS ten is interesting. Like I like the new sort of design language they've brought where especially on the ultra it's really nice where you have like nice colorful backgrounds and graphics and it looks great on the ultra but it also looks good on the the other watches i like where they've taken watch os 10 i still think they sort of screwed up what the side button does but you know it's a uh, i've gotten used to it it's fine but i think you're right i think most people like it's it's fitness it's some notification stuff and then you know the rest of it is just is just bonus if, if that I can't leave the watch without talking about watch faces um, because, you know, yeah. it's just such a weird contrast where Apple says, this is the most personal device we've ever made and blah, blah, blah. But the faces are what we tell you they're going to be, and you're going to like it. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and the, the, there are faces that are useful. I feel like this year we got actually some of the ultra uh, infograph style faces are actually kind of nice. I like them, but, that's not good enough. I feel like we should be able to get third-party watch faces. I would love for guys like David Smith to be able to sell watch faces. Yep. And I understand there would probably be some limitations on it or whatnot, but it's been so long and we've been talking about it so long. Do you think they even have an interest in is this like is this a thing where they're just saying, Well, we're gonna wait for a slow year and then we're gonna give you <laughs> your faces so you'll shut up? Or do you think they're philosophically just opposed to that and they are never going to let us put our ugly user-generated, uh, developer-generated watch faces on their beautiful watch? I thought that was the case for a long time, that they were just completely allergic to it. What gives me the tiniest amount of hope, and it's like a grain of sand of hope, right, in an otherwise completely empty vacuum, is yeah. lock screen customization on the iPhone that I can make my iPhone lock screen look absolutely bonkers. And let me tell you, as the father of a teenage girl with an iPhone, people do wild stuff with the lock screens, just really nutty stuff with their lock screens. And that gives me a little bit of hope that Apple's willing to crack the door open to customization. But I'm definitely never counting on it. Like I wouldn't pick it, you know, as a pick in our game on Connected, you know, where we try to, predict the year in advance because I I think they they do want this watch to be a curated experience. And yes, you can customize it, but you're within, you know, pretty strict guide rails of what you can do. It's disappointing and it's frustrating, but your daughter's lock screen, isn't that all Apple stuff too? I mean that's you're using the fonts that they've allowed right. and the, the it's it's not something that has any third party involvement. Yeah, I mean, other than than widgets, right? And and yeah. you know, you could you could say that's like complications on on the Apple Watch. So I don't think it's going to happen. I, I wish it would, but I don't hold out much hope at this point. I mean, I would love to be able to even like pay a license fee to some of these these well known watch brands that have these great faces and be able to just have them. The um, when you look at the Hermes bands, they come with a custom face that's really pretty and like. There could be, it could be so much better. And I think the, that would make the watch a more attractive and sellable device. But that, that's one I will never understand. 
This episode of MPU is brought to you by NetSuite. If you have a business, you can probably relate to the fact that when businesses get to a certain size, the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day are now taking a week. You have too many manual processes and you don't have one source of truth. It's never a good feeling when everything in the business is disjointed. Too many processes in too many places. You want clarity and you want one place where all the important stuff happens. The solution to untangling that disjointed feeling is NetSuite. NetSuite is a software company that has developed a cloud-based business management platform to help your team deal with key business processes like enterprise resource plannings, financials, CRM needs, e-commerce, inventory, and more. Look, I own a business. I know if I have too many manual processes, getting work done feels hard, and I can't be as productive or successful as I'd like to be. So if you want to make sure the cracks don't emerge in your business, here are three numbers you should know. 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25 is because NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. I know as a business owner what a difference that can make and how much easier everything operates when information is available. It really does mean that smart decisions can be made faster. So go download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist right now. It's designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free. Go to netsuite.com slash MPU. That's NetSuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E, netsuite.com slash MPU. Go there now, check out that free KPI checklist, and make sure your business continues to thrive. Our thanks to NetSuite for their support of the show and Relay FM. Okay, what about in the home? How's Apple doing? Let's start with the HomePod. Uh, the big one went away with no explanation, and then it came back. Yeah, problem solved, right? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand the big HomePod. Right? It was the, it was the only one for a long time, and it was fine. Um, all mine are dead, by the way. I had three full size HomePods. They're all dead. Um, none of them power on anymore. It's very sad. It went away, like you said, and then a new HomePod came out in uh, January or February of this year that is basically the same. In some ways, it may be a little bit worse. Like it's, uh, I think it's two fewer drivers inside and the colors are slightly different and the, that top screen is a little bit different, but it's basically the same recipe as the first one. What's much more interesting to me is the HomePod mini because it's cheap enough where you can basically put one wherever you want it and not break the bank. It comes in a bunch of fun colors. I got two orange ones here in my studio. You know, I love that they're bright orange. Love it. I have a yellow one in the garage. I have a blue one in the kitchen. I think it's so much fun. But the the bigger picture of the HomePod is still still a bit of a mystery to me. Like, okay, Apple has these speakers. You can do these things with them. But they don't really seem that excited about it. And I think the biggest 
change they could make would be like having a home pod with a screen, which I think a lot of people want. Uh, I think that'd be fantastic, especially like in the kitchen. But is that something they want to do? Is it something they think that is a valuable market? Uh, even if they did it, it's going to be way too expensive to make it feasible for most people. So I just don't know. Like, I don't know what Apple thinks about their own home products. And I find that a bit weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because of karma, but all of my original iPods, HomePods are still working. <laughs> I've just had really good luck. I've got one in the shop that's got sawdust on it all the time and works fine. So, so far, so good. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, is this like an iPad situation? Apple just wanted to make a semi-smart speaker that sounds good and is easy to use with your your devices. And if that's what they were aiming for, mission accomplished. But I guess what all of us are thinking is like, Apple could do more with this. They could make it better. And with their whole ecosystem, uh, they could make it a lot better. And I think there's a part, something a part of us would love to see them do. Like, what if they turned it into like a home Wi-Fi system? And, you know, like you said, put screens on some of them and just really kind of, did the Apple-y thing of making a really good version of stuff that's out there, but isn't particularly good right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if they have any interest in that. I feel like they probably don't. One of the things that was discouraging for me was uh, the, the after Steve book, there was a segment in there about, you know, home speakers and how they, they kind of had a kind of a meh approach to the whole, um, you know, Amazon arrival into that, that idea of a smart home speaker. And this was an on again, off again product with a, which they eventually kind of begrudgingly seemed like they decided to go ahead and make. Yeah. And that's not enough. Like I, I feel like this, this product needs an advocate that's high enough at Apple to make them do something awesome with it. I think they're totally capable of doing something awesome, but I don't see any signs that they're, they're mm -hmm. interested in it. And I think they're a bit hampered by Siri. Right. If you have a screen, that's different. But when Siri is the only interaction and it falls on its face as much as it does, it's better than it used to be. Right. Like for a long time, the canonical example was you can't set multiple timers. Well, they fixed that. And thank God, because multiple timers is awesome in the kitchen. But things like asking a simple question and it not being able to tell me an answer, but saying, oh, uh, you know, I sent something to your phone or you can look that up when you're on your phone. It's like, HomePod, like I'm, you know, making something here in the kitchen or my hands are full in the garage. and I just need an answer to a question like or doing the wrong thing or misunderstanding me. It They have made improvements. I'm not saying that. But when Siri is the only interface, it can be uh, it can be a bit frustrating. And I don't know the cure to that other than Siri getting better and or adding a screen. But I think that that does limit. I think it does limit what these devices can do. And I think for some people, it turns them off where they're, they're not even really going to seriously consider it because they think Siri is worse than it is. I think Siri does have a pretty big reputation problem. And I don't know how Apple ever gets around that. Agreed. I want to talk more about Siri later, though. I feel like we need to talk about the state of Siri. Okay. It's a separate discussion. Okay. But I'm with you. I think the HomePod Mini is probably a much more popular product. And... It seems to reflect more attention. Although I really like, just, just want to put in a word, I like the big iPod, HomePods. I have two of them in the studio, 
and they are on constantly. As somebody who has tinnitus, I always want noise, and these things are are great for that yeah. that purpose. And they sound awesome. I mean, the big HomePods really do sound good. I think the mini sound pretty good for the money, but the big one is something something pretty pretty good. And when you pair a couple of them together, your thunderstorm sounds like uh, is enough to scare the dog, right? So that's good. <laughs> Apple TV. Uh, what about that? I think from the hardware perspective, it continues to be overpowered and overpriced. Like you can get something that does basically all the same stuff for a lot less money from basically anybody else. That's made even more true by the fact that Apple has shipped the Apple TV Plus service and things like AirPlay to a bunch of other set-top boxes and even TVs. Like my LG TV has AirPlay just built in natively, right? A lot of TVs do now. So the Apple TV itself, like the box you buy, I think is less and less of a compelling offering when if if what you want to do can be done elsewhere. And I think tvOS, and there are big changes in tvOS 17.2, which that's brand new and I've not experienced. So I'll put a little asterisk here that maybe tvOS 17.2 has fixed some of this stuff. But in general, tvOS still feels a little bit lost to me. You know, they're trying to drive you into the TV app and that being the the hub for all your content. Well, that's only great. That only works if the content you want is in there and Netflix isn't and some others aren't. Um, there's still this weird mishmash and this has changed in 17.2 of uh, there's like a store. You can still buy stuff versus streaming and it's not always clear like what is where and it just feels like they're trying to, to hurt cats with the tvOS interface and I'm not sure it's doing a great job of it. Well, I mean, and that's the problem, right? They are hurting cats. Yeah. It's yeah. people whose other co- control their own content and make their own decisions about what they think is best for them. And uh, tying into Apple's search, everything may not be in their best interest. Uh, so they're not going to do it. My my feeling is like, if you're going to sell something that has better hardware than your competitors, then give me a reason to want that better hardware. And it's it's a weird spot because it's not as powerful as like a, high-end gaming system. So you're not going to get, you know, what they call class A games on the Apple TV. But at the same time, it's, it's definitely more powerful than, you know, a $30 Roku box. And Apple does have the ability, if they put the effort into it, to give you a superior experience or maybe some superior apps that would allow you to take advantage of that hardware. I, and they also have access to the ecosystem that Roku doesn't. Like I was looking at my Apple TV thinking, wouldn't it be great if it, when I wasn't watching TV, it could tell me where my kids are and have the camera for the front door open, you know, uh, turned on so I can see if somebody makes a delivery, today's weather, you know, kind of a status board thing. And they have put things like that together. There are widgets. You don't have to write me. I've tried them all. There are third-party apps, but we need a first-party solution to this. You know, take advantage of that hardware to make something really cool. Like, you know, the Panic made that status board so many years ago that they gave up on. But I feel like Apple could do something really interesting with that hardware, with a screen in your house, and it could be a very customizable experience, and it could be kind of awesome and make you want to buy Apple TV hardware as opposed to the $30 box. But 
I feel like it suffers from a lack of attention again. It's like, yeah, that's an idea. I'm sure that this isn't, uh, if Apple's listening, I'm sure somebody there has already written down this idea and, and has already considered it and chosen not to do it. But that's the kind of stuff I would like to see them do is like, say, okay, we do charge a little bit more, but it's better and it's a better experience. And it's that second part. I don't feel like we're getting out of the Apple TV. Yeah. I think in general, Apple in the home, it just feels like a bunch of missed opportunities. It feels like we're not even t- like really talking about HomeKit, but I think HomeKit has come a long way. But the the TV in particular and, and the iPad to a lesser extent, like are so such important components of HomeKit where they're the hub, but also like, yeah, I would like my TV to be like the dashboard for my home. And they just haven't put those two things together yet. And it just feels like there's all this opportunity. There's all this possibility when I have all these products and they know about each other and they know about my data and iCloud and they're, you know, hooked up to my doorbells and my lights and all that stuff. It's like all the pieces are there, or at least a lot of the pieces are there, but Apple hasn't put them together in ways that are truly compelling yet. And I hope that they can. I hope, I mean, it would be great if all these devices were smarter and better integrated and the HomePod or the T or the Apple TV could be a true like smart home dashboard and hub where I could very quickly see what's going on without digging through the home app on my phone, but they're just not there yet. And I think they could get there if they want to, but like I said earlier, I honestly don't know if they want to. It's so hard to read Apple in this area with these other products we've talked about. It seems much easier to understand where the company's coming from and where they want to go. But I just don't know about the home and maybe they don't know, but yeah, the thing in Apple's favor, and then I'll stop ranting, I promise. The thing in Apple's favor here, really two things. One, their their story on privacy and security, I honestly think is the best in the business. And when it comes to smart home stuff, that is of utmost importance, right? That's great. Uh, the second thing they have in their favor is that people in the Apple ecosystem tend to be pretty deep in the Apple ecosystem, right? Yes, there's lots of iPhone users with Amazon Echoes out there. But they they do have a lot of their user base who are willing to invest in the Apple ecosystem because all the stuff just works together. And again, they're sort of just leaving that opportunity uh, unrealized at this point. And, and no one else has done it great either. Like Google and Amazon have both struggled in these areas too. But Apple does have a unique opportunity here that they seem unwilling or unable to take advantage of. Yeah, and just to like kind of like Last point on this. Look at the way everybody lost their mind over standby mode with the iPhone this year, right? You, yeah. You put your phone on a stand, you turn it sideways, and it turns into stuff. And then you combine that with now the universal uh, use of widgets throughout all of the Apple ecosystem. You can put a widget on your Mac desktop. You can put a widget on your phone. You can put it on your iPad, whatever. I mean, it just seems like such a no-brainer to have your your Apple TV go into a standby mode, customizable widgets, you know, there's just a lot you could do with what they already have. All you have to do is glue it together. And -hmm. I know I'm simplifying that, but at the same time, I don't think I'm simplifying it that much. It just seems like a no brainer. Let's talk about services. That is a a growing uh, component (laughs) to the Apple ecosystem. And one that we said earlier is very important to Apple. I think the, 
basics of iCloud have had a have had a pretty good year when it comes to the, the syncing of your everyday data, calendar contacts, notes, Safari, et cetera. I, I know there are examples out there of people being burned, right? I, I totally understand that. But having used these services since since the dot Mac days, like they're better than ever. And it really has been a long time since I've had anything catastrophic happen with those basic iCloud services. Now, there's some that I don't use, right? I don't use iCloud email because uh, the spam filtering is not powerful enough for what I need. And also, I want to use MimeStream, so I've just, like, consolidated around my Gmail address. Um, I don't use all those services, but the ones that I do use, and to Apple's credit, it's very easy to mix and match them. I feel like those those basics, those that, those that infrastructure part of iCloud has really come into its own over the last several years, and... I feel like they've they've kind of got it figured out now. I think that the old story of of Apple being bad at cloud services, I don't think is true anymore. Yeah, agreed. I mean, but you know, this has been democratized. A lot of people can do cloud services good now. At yeah. the beginning, it was Google. You know, that yeah. was it. But yeah, yeah. But now, now a lot of people do it, and a lot of people roll their own sync for their software, and it's not a problem. And those are table stakes, and. They're doing fine on that. If they did bad at that now, it would be uh, that would be a super black, big black eye because uh, small companies can do it. A trillion dollar company should be able to do it. I mean, that, I just don't think it's um, a problem. The uh, what about the iCloud Plus services and just kind of the general growth of all of that? Um, I I feel like they they've done a good job of developing a menu of things to choose from. Um, I am definitely aware that this is a revenue thing for them as well. It, mm-hmm. it feels like a revenue thing. And I guess that's just the way it is. And I shouldn't be too hung up on it. But I do think that's a part of it. It does feel a little icky sometimes with the incremental price increases and the fact that you know they still give you almost no free data. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wish that would get better. Me, me, me too. Um, I mean, looking through the the iCloud webpage, like some of the iCloud Plus stuff, which is basically just when you pay for iCloud now, like the, some of the branding around iCloud is a little confusing, but some of the stuff like I am not using, nor do I have any real interest in using. Things like the um, uh, the private browsing deal, right? Where all your data is like, it's kind of like a VPN, but not really like a VPN. Like, uh I had issues with that early on private relay. That's what it's called. Um, yeah. And I haven't really revisited it. You know, hide my email is really cool, but I can tell you as someone who's been burned by this three years in a row, if you use hide my email, sometimes you have issues like on the other end, like me getting in touch with my Kickstarter backers has proved difficult with hide my email and home kit secure video. Like that's really cool if the cameras you use support it and, and you don't need something it doesn't offer. And so I feel like most of these things are good. I'm not sure they're all great, but also like how does Apple draw the line between what's paid and what's not? And I I think some of those things to your point definitely feel like, okay, this is something that is here for the, for the bottom line. Um, and that is a little frustrating. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Siri. Yes, please. Okay, so generally anybody that listens to our show knows that neither one of us are are particularly happy with Siri. Uh, I will say in the last year, Siri dictation has improved dramatically. 
because they went to a transformer model, the underlying engine is different and yeah. it is a lot better. When I was talking about earlier about how I write blog posts in my comfy chair with my iPad, well, I'm not using a keyboard for that. I just talk and it's a great way to get a first draft in and it's easier now than ever. Uh, so Siri got better that way, but the underlying logic and just general operation of Siri is still extremely vexing. Like, I was in the car the other day. I have a playlist called Yule. You guys know because I've given you the link. I've shared it through the show. And I just wanted it to play my Yule playlist. And I'm, you know, I push the button on the steering wheel, play my Yule playlist, play the Yule playlist in music, play playlist called Yule. And like every time I got a different song from some artist that had nothing to do with jazz. And the device knows that I listen to the Yule playlist repeatedly throughout every December and it just couldn't get there. And it's like that kind of stuff. And my wife is just laughing at me in the passenger seat, like Mr. Apple guy and his stupid computer Mm -hmm. that can't even like understand him. And I feel like this stuff has got to end. I mean, at some point and it's just like the Apple watch faces. It's been going on so long that I don't even know what to say anymore at this point. I'm just hoping that, you know, I've got like the, the AI hail Mary now that I'm thinking about, like you, you read that Apple is talking about putting a bunch of AI improvements into shortcuts with the next release. And that we'll see this June, you know, with the next iOS version. And somehow that's gonna, you know, just like AI kind of fix Siri dictation that maybe it can fix you know, the voice automation stuff, but that's, that's what I'm counting on. Cause I don't have any faith that the traditional means of fixing this are ever going to happen. Yeah. Is that a rant? I think I just did a rant. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, look, we're many, many years into this technology with Apple. It, it should be better. Apple people, Apple know that, right? It's not, not a surprise to them. And I think they are making, efforts to improve it but i do think that they have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of baggage in these technologies that they have to contend with i think also their insistence on things being local on your device which i applaud wholeheartedly don't hear what i'm not saying that may limit what they can do in some cases right um thinking like with icloud photo library it used to be that you would tag and like uh, all your photos with names and that stuff wouldn't sync around your iCloud photo library. It's like, what in the world? What are you doing? You know, they've improved that stuff over time, but no doubt they have struggled as well. And I think it's, you know, your example of like, it's something that I do all the time. It works sometimes. Other times it falls on its face and you can't tell why, right? It's like, what changed? I said the same thing in the same way in the same place. And on, on Tuesday it worked and on Wednesday it doesn't. That's why these things have a bad reputation with consumers, that it's inconsistent. And they've got to deal with that because say they fix it to, you know, say 17.2 and Sonoma 14.2, whatever, that, you know, instantly cured all of our issues with Siri. It doesn't, but say that it does. It would take years for people to get that message because like, so many of these things, oh, I tried it three years ago and it just barfed. And so I gave up. People have long memories when it comes to those sorts of failures. And that means Apple is kind of always fighting time when it comes to improving them. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I think it's something that they clearly need 
to fix. I mean, we were talking earlier about Wall Street. People are paying attention now to how smart your devices are and what you can do. And uh, Apple does not have a great reputation for this. And they need to be putting effort into it. Now, if you read the news and the rumor sites, they are putting a bunch of money and time into this stuff. But I feel like it needs to show up in the devices this year. And Mm -hmm. it really should have showed up in the devices years ago because it's embarrassing that this stuff is no better. I mean, this stuff premiered when Steve jobs was still alive and it still, still feels to me like it's in a lot of ways, not much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, like earlier when you said multiple timers are awesome. I'm like, we should not be enthusiastic about multiple timers <laughs> in 2023. Right. You're right. You're totally right. Either way. Yes. Siri, please get better. Please get better. All right. Overall, um, how's Apple doing? Just overall, what's your uh, what's your take? Overall, I think Apple had a, a pretty solid year. I think that they continue to struggle in the areas they've struggled in before with services and serial stuff we just talked about. I think their biggest upcoming battle is legislation or pressure that's going to separate the app store from the platform from apple's payment gateway stuff it'll be interesting to see what they they do with that but the core stuff at apple ah, the the hardware and the software the devices we pick up and use every day to connect with people to do our work in general those are the best they've ever been and that's all i want right like the other stuff's important and like i would like them to make improvements to those other areas but at the end of the day, these things are tools. And as long as those tools are doing their job well, then I can give them some leniency in other areas. And for me, at least, and I think for you, I think for a lot of people, like my needs are being met by the Mac and the iPhone and iPad and the Apple Watch, you know, those products in my life that I use every day. And that's impressive and that it's been so good for so long in so many areas. And while I would like them to slow down sometimes on the software and, and focus on some of the details they get wrong, in general, I think they've had a a, a pretty solid year. I think that's uh, that's exciting. I, I will agree. I think that you know, like I make my living with this Mac, and I'm at it sometimes way too many hours a day, and it always delivers the goods. And the iPad and the iPhone uh, do the things I need them to do, and the watch. I mean, overall, I'm. I think Apple's doing great. There's a reason why they're so successful and why so many people love their stuff. And this stuff is hard. I mean, there aren't any competitors to Apple that are operating on their level, not even close. That's why it's easy um, to find the things that we want to make better because, you know, they're doing everything else so right. But I do have to say that earlier when I finished my rant on Siri and I used her word, uh, uh, my phone just said, Siri just popped up on my phone and said, I can't help you with that. Uh, so I don't know what's going on, but maybe Apple's telling me they're not going to fix it this year. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> All right. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. Uh, thanks for indulging us on our yearly review of the state of the platforms for Apple. I think we both agree. Good marks, but there is room for improvement. Uh, thank you to our sponsors this week, Text Expander Electric and NetSuite. We are going to be going into the new features into uh, iPad and iOS 17.2 and Sonoma 14.2 in today's 
uh, more power users episode. If you're interested, more power users is the ad free extended version of the show. You can find out about it over relay.fm slash MPU. And we'll see you next week.